and I saw a few hands go up. If you weren't here, the assignment last week, we, last week's passage was this really famous passage in the book of Philippians, which is called the Christ hymn, and it tells the story of Jesus, right, who, being of very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself humble, right? This whole story, and then later he's glorified. And it's this beautiful story. And instead of digging into all of the theology of it, we actually just stopped and said, can we reflect on the beauty, this early Christian piece of artwork that, that invited, that like it invites us into like, just see how good our God is, right? Can we, take, can we just stop and take a moment? And then the homework was make something. Like art has blessed our church in this story. It's blessed our church in the, in the history of the church. We showed a bunch of pieces of artwork up on the screen, historical pieces of artwork that have been a blessing to the church. And, and then like, could you perhaps make something that would bless our church? So I invited people into making a piece of art. You can still do it. I will accept late submissions. There are no deductions. I have 1% per day. 1% per day off of your grade. There's not a grade. Um, <laughs> today we're finding ourselves into a different passage and, and rather than dodging the theology, we're, we're gonna wade into it a little bit. Uh, and so I hope that you're ready. <laughs> I feel like, I, I think I'm ready. Um, this is a tricky passage. But let me start off, I've got a question. Have you ever had someone start a conversation with you uh, with these words? You know I love you, right? You ever had that? Or maybe, maybe it was in a workplace setting, so it was like the, the work-appropriate version of that, which we really appreciate all the work you've been doing around here. And then there's like a really pregnant pause, right? And then there's the B word. Not that B word, but like the other, the other B word, but that B word. They go, we really appreciate the work you've been doing, but what is your immediate feeling in this situation, in that moment? Anybody? Like, what do you feel? What did I do wrong? Like feelings of dread, maybe fear, perhaps some anxiety. You start spinning through like, what happened? Did I, is that that thing last week? I didn't think that was a big, like it just, you know, our minds begin to churn, right? Because often, and not always, but often when someone starts saying nice things to us, it's because they're getting ready to tell us something challenging, right? It's not always the case. It's, like, it's not super common that someone will just sit you down and tell you how much they appreciate you. They're out there. These people are out there, people who do this, and they are amazing. The encouragers among us, I'm so grateful for them. We have some of you in our church, some encouragers. I am unbelievably thankful for you. Uh, and I think we could all learn some great lessons from them. But usually when you get sat down and the compliments come out and the terms of endearment begin to flow, my spidey sense begins to tingle right? That something potentially serious is on the way, right? Shirley read us our passage today, and I'm just going to, I read at the beginning of the, you know, but I'm, I'm just going to read it through again, uh, it just to, just to, you know, to set the stage for us. So the passage, it says, this is um, Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13. If you want to turn to it in the Bibles and the pew, or if you've got a phone or something, you're welcome to, to, to turn to it as well. But it says, therefore, Okay, well, we've got it. therefore. This means that whatever he's about to say is related to something he was just saying before. So we will take a moment a little bit later. We're going to look back at the context, make sure we're, we're going to hold that in our heads and our hearts as we read through the text. But he says, so therefore, and then he says, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. Anyone's body senses tingling? 
<laughs> right? Like, like he's softening us up, right? Like whatever is coming next is probably going to be challenging. It might be something uncomfortable. It may ask something of us or be a correction. He's, he's going through a good deal of effort to make sure that the readers are in the right heart space to receive whatever it is that he's going to tell them next, right? He's reminding them of their friendship. He's reminding them that he, he cares for them. Then he's, he's lathering them up with compliments about how they have been faithfully following after God. He's reminding them, he's making sure that they know I haven't missed it. The thing that I'm going to say next, it doesn't mean that I've forgotten the way that you've been faithful, right? I've seen it. I've, I've seen how you've been faithful. You were faithful when I was there and I've heard that even when I'm not there, even more, you are continuing to be faithful. Very pregnant pause, <laughs> but he still has something to say, right? Well, before we go on, before we explore what that something is that he has to say, I wonder, you know, why is he, he's doing this preamble? Why? He's helped them prepare their hearts and their, backwards, their minds and their hearts, help them prepare their hearts and their minds to receive that he's what, what he's going to share, right? So I wonder if it might be worthwhile for us to take a place right now to prepare our hearts and our minds so that we can, we can be curious together. So that we've prepared to be curious together about what it might mean for us. What it is that, that Paul is saying to this church in Philippi a couple thousand years ago. What that might mean for us this morning, alright? So I'm actually, I'm going to pray. And then we're going to read the passage again in full. It's just two verses. And then we're going to dive in and unpack it together. Does that sound good? Yeah? Okay, got some nods. Perfect. Alright, well let's bow our heads and pray. Lord, we know that we cannot even read your word except if we are empowered by you to do so, Lord. We can't do this work without your Holy Spirit working in and among us. So God, come. Come today. Be with us as we come and read your word, as we seek your voice. Prepare our hearts. Where, where our hearts are hard, God, I ask that you would soften them. Where they're, where they're rigid, I ask that you would help them to become pliable. God, open our ears and our minds and prepare us for whatever it has that you have for us this day. Lord, help us to be humble as we listen to you and seek to follow after you. Pray this in your name. Amen. So this is Philippians 12, or Philippians 2. There is no Philippians 12. Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. What in the world does that mean, right? Like, I think it's a good thing we've asked for God's help to prepare our hearts because quickly my head can start spinning with all kinds of questions, right? Does this mean that, that I need to work in order to be saved? Does this mean that if I don't work, I'm going to, if I'm not like, like, like grinding and gritting my teeth, that I could lose my salvation? I thought that salvation, that, that, it, that I was saved 
by grace through faith, right? That it's not of myself. So why is Paul telling me here that I'm supposed to work out my salvation? I mean, in Romans, he writes about the one, how, how the one who does not work gets saved, right? That's Romans 4, verse 5. It says, however, to the one who does not work, but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. Even in the following verse in this passage, like, like you know, he says this, work out your faith, with, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And then he goes, but it's God who works. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Let's take a breath. We have some theology to do and some context to consider as we unpack this text. So let's start with the context. I mentioned earlier, this verse begins with a therefore. Maybe if we take into account the therefore, it's going to help us better understand what's being said. Right? Maybe it'll help us to fit with our understanding of how salvation works. So last week, if we rewind to last week, we were looking at the passage of scripture that was referred to as the Christ hymn. Right? This beautiful poem telling us the amazing story of Jesus who was God come down. God made himself humble so that we could be saved. God willing to endure a humiliating and painful death on a cross because of his great love for us. And he didn't stop there, right? Then he talked about how Jesus is then... After, after his death, then he is actually exalted to the highest places. And, and there's this beautiful reference to a prophecy in Isaiah where it says that at the, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Beautiful. Doesn't super clarify though, right? So I think we have to go back a little bit further. Uh, I think that's where we maybe find our first hint. So in our sermon series two weeks ago, I didn't even think two weeks ago, I'm sorry. Two weeks ago, though in our passage, it's just a few, a few verses, right? So it's, it's, if you were here, you might remember there was almost an exasperation in Paul's tone as he was writing to the church at the beginning of this chapter, right? Like if, he says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if there is any comfort from his love, if you have any common sharing in the spirit. If there is any tenderness or any compassion, basically he's saying for the love of all that is good, please, please church, would you be united? Don't be stuck on yourselves. Live humbly, value others. And then, and I think this is where the therefore that we're talking about today comes in is verse five. He says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And then he shares that beautiful poem to remind them of what Jesus is like. Therefore, my dear friends. So let me find ourselves back at, at today's passage. He says, therefore, my dear friends, that's the Jeff translation. You guys know I love you, right? And then he says, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, the Jeff translation would be, I, I really appreciate the work that you've been doing around here. It's great. And the spotty senses are tingling. And then here's the big line. And it's a good thing we prepared our hearts because it's a zinger. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And what should, the, what should the Jeff translation be? Well, let's, let's hold in our minds the things that he was talking about, the therefore. He's just painted the picture of Jesus to them. And he's been encouraging them to have the same mindset as Jesus, right? So that verse five, um, that's, sorry, that's verse five. So, so what does it mean when he says, work at your salvation with fear and trembling? I think our context would lead us to believe that he's saying, take seriously. That's the fear and trembling part. Take seriously the work of following after Jesus. The work of being 
like Jesus. Now, depending on your upbringing in the church, that might seem like a big extrapolation from the word salvation. For me to say, when he says work at your salvation, he's talking about following after Jesus, right? When I, the church that I grew up in, when we talked about salvation, salvation meant one thing and only one thing. It meant going, if you were going to heaven or not, <laughs> right? That was what salvation was. It meant that I had accepted the free gift, no work involved of salvation, and I was going to heaven. And that's not a wrong picture of salvation, but I think it might be a narrow picture of all that is encompassed when we talk about being saved by Jesus. I think, I think that for this verse to make sense, we're actually going to need a bigger understanding of what the Bible is talking about when it talks about us being saved. And this is where we're going to get into the theology. I said earlier that, um, that we, that we had some context to consider and we had some theology to do. So if you'll indulge me now, we're going to take just a couple of minutes and we're going to talk about an area of theology called soteriology. Does anyone know what soteriology is? Anybody? <laughs> soteriology is, you might be able to figure it out from some contextual clues. This is our theology of salvation. So I'm going to read a couple of Bible verses for you about salvation. I'm going to move this and I'm going to get a, a, a board to write on. Last week I said my stick people don't even look like stick people. So, oh, that's backwards. See how experienced I am with these things. <laughs> um, so you're going to have to be gracious with me. I hope you've been practicing your, your graciousness. Um, but I'm hoping we're going to be able to draw a diagram that will be helpful for us. And this is not, this isn't mine. I didn't make this. This is actually um, a free Methodist pastor. I have his name in here somewhere. <laughs> Greg Pullum. He made this diagram that I am stealing, that we are sharing in the kingdom of God. Um, <laughs> okay. Uh, I have a couple of Bible verses for us to read. Did I lose all of my pages? Yes. Okay. So the first one should be up on the screen. Ephesians 4. Okay. But because... Of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ Jesus even when we were dead in our transgressions. For it, has been, for it is by grace you have been saved. That's, bold and, that's mine, the italicis. And stuff. I put that in there. So, have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. And it comes back around in order that in the coming ages he might show us the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. I think we've got another one here. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift from God. So we have, have been saved. I will do that. We're going to figure out which marker is best during this as well. So we have have been saved. What tense is this? In English, you don't need to know Greek. In, in English, what tense is that? Past tense. That's right. This is the past tense, right? Wow, that's illegible. P-A-S-T. So we've got our past tense. Okay, we've got more verses. Another verse up on the screen, please. Oh, 
Oh, they're giving me a new marker. I have three. Like, you know, there's options here. One of these is going to work great. Oh, this one. Oh, this one's kind of green. Is that one better? Oh, yeah. <laughs> My wife, everybody. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. Applaud for Raven. Okay, I will redraw this. We're going to get another verse up on the screen for us as well. But this is the past tense. Have been saved. Salvation is being talked about as... Ooh, that's... <laughs> we'll just write right over top of it. Have. This is part of the chat. I never know what hand to use when I write on a board. Is that weird? So have been saved. This is our past tense. Okay, next verse. Okay. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. What's the tense here? Are being saved. The pre present tense. Are being saved. Okay, next verse. What do we have? This is another one out of Corinthians. That was 1 Corinthians, this is 2 Corinthians. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. What tense? Are being saved. Present tense, right? All right, you might be able to guess what's going to happen after this. <laughs> We've got another verse here. <laughs> Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him. What tense is this? Future. Look at all these English students. We've got another one. For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? You see there's actually both in here. We've been reconciled and then we will be saved, right? These are all, so this is what we say, this is the Christian journey. This is salvation, right? Have been saved, are being saved, shall be saved. In theology, in soteriology, teaching you big words today, there's different words for this. So have been saved, this past tense, this is what we call justification. Maybe this one's better. Justification, Okay. This is, this is like salvation begins, right? This is regeneration. This is new birth. This is conversion, right? This is the thing that the church I grew up in said was salvation, right? That's it. You're going to heaven. You've been saved. Jesus' blood washed your sins. You are forgiven. Boom. That's the end of the story. But it's not the end of the journey, right? So what else is a part of this story. Well, we've got justification. Then we have in our, our, our being saved. This is salvation continued. So we have like, we've got begun. And then we've got continued. In our salvation continued, we have sanctification. Sanctification. This is our, our being saved, right?
This is the present tense. This is the thing that is happening now, right? Like this is our growing in holiness. This is our discipleship. This is our following after Jesus and experiencing the transforming work in our lives, right? This is our becoming more and more like Jesus. This is our discipleship, right? This is our, um, the, the renovation of our heart, right? This is loving God, learning to love God with our heart, our mind, our soul, our strength, right? Is that justification? Does that make it so that we're saved all of it? No, but is this a process of our salvation? Is this the ongoing piece of it? Yes, this is a part of the story. So what about the last one? What about the shall be saved? There's another word for this. Starts with a G, anybody? Probably not. <laughs> Glorification, yes. I don't know who said that. Was he? Yeah. Well done. If I wish I had candies, I could throw them. I should have done that if I was more prepared. You can read this, right? Glorification. <laughs> if I say it out loud enough times and the first letter is correct, you can figure out the rest. <laughs> this is resurrection, right? This is eternal life. This is heaven. This is when we finally like, get to be united with God right? This is the salvation that is to come, right? And our salvation, like our whole process of salvation from beginning to end, like it's not over until glorification, right? So we start with this justification. We like he paid it all. And then we're still here. We're still living on earth in the midst of things not as they should be. Sin is still a reality in our, in our lives and in our world, right? But we are called to follow after Christ, right? And so we go onward in sanctification, this renovation of the heart. This, and this is a movement towards like human flourishing, right? Like towards an abundant life, like a life that is good. It's actually living into what we have been created for, right? Like, and so that's sanctification and then we have glorification. So if we go back to our verse, I'm not going to write everything on here. I've got another. From healing, sorry, freedom, healing, wholeness of spiritual, uh, of, our spiritual of our spiritual selves, a physical, mental, emotional healing, like the, in, the, in the end, in glorification, all of this comes about, right? In the interim, we might not experience all of it, right? Like, like there are some of us that will have physical ailments that in this life, like we won't be saved from until glorification, Right? until our next life with Christ. There are others who will actually experience that as a part of the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. There are people who experience miraculous healing and it's beautiful. They are saved from ailment here and now. Isn't that wonderful? Not for everyone. It doesn't happen to everyone, but that is a part of what happens. That's a part of salvation. Salvation, this is the idea, so much bigger than am I going to heaven or not? So much bigger. It is an invitation to a story. A story that, that I like to call, <laughs> that I appreciate the language of discipleship, right? This is a journey of following after Christ. So what is, is, is Paul saying when he encourages them to have the mind of Christ towards one another? What is he saying when he then holds up the story of Jesus for them to consider? That's our context before buttering them up and telling them to work out their salvation with fear and trembling. I think what he's saying is simply this. Treat with great seriousness, right? The fear and trembling part. Treat with great seriousness 
the work of following Jesus. Treat with great seriousness this part, right, of our salvation. With fear and trembling. This is not something to be taken lightly. This is not something to put onto the back burner. Like, this is our work as followers of Jesus. And also, it's entirely not our work, right? For it is Christ, it is God who works and moves in us, right? To bring about these things. There's a tension there. Do you feel that? There's a strangeness in that. Like, God is the only one who can change hearts, right? We can't. I can't even change my own heart, right? I can, I can you know, reasonably impact my actions, my choices. I can't change my heart. But we do have choices, right? We can make choices that bring us into a place where we are open to the influence of the Spirit in our lives or bring ourselves to a place where we are not open, <laughs> right? And God can work. I think it's, it might be Kierkegaard. He's got this quote about how, don't quote me on who it is. I'm sorry. <laughs> but um, it's got this quote about how like God can use anything, right? Like we hear stories of people in other countries that have never met a missionary, never met a Christian. Jesus comes to them in a dream. They become a follower of Jesus. They go find a church. God can work in that way. It's beautiful. God can use ugly things, right? To bring about, to bring about beautiful things in people's story. God can meet people in the terrible pits of despair. But then we also know that there are ways that God has consistently chosen to talk to his people, to his church over the years, right? Consistently chosen to meet with people, to, to invite them into obedience, into following him, into the transforming work of his spirit, right? Prayer, reading the scriptures, discipleship relationships, like, like joining together with a community of believers to follow after him together, confession, accountability. Like these things we know are places where God chooses to work. So Kierkegaard, I think, says there's lots of places he can work. There's places we know he works. Let's go to those places, right? We can stay in those other places. He'll get to us. He is a God who comes after us. He pursues us. We can also choose to participate in the work of sanctification, opening ourselves up to it by deciding to, to, to live our lives in a way that opens ourselves up to the work of Christ in our spirits, right? That's, I think, what Paul is saying to this church. He's saying, discipleship is serious business. Following after Jesus is serious business. We should be in this process of following after him with fear and trembling. It is not something we should put on the back burner. It should be at the forefront of our minds if we want to follow Jesus. Let's follow him, right? And if we're going to follow him, we have to learn to listen for him, right? And so, in a practical sense, what does it actually mean for us? What does it actually look like for us to take seriously, to, to engage with fear and trembling with this call to work out our salvation? A couple of things. These are like basic Sunday school answers, okay? Prayer. Do, do, do we want to have our hearts transformed by God? We should go to him in prayer. We know consistently God meets his people in prayer. It means taking seriously the, the like countless invitations in scripture to come to God in prayer. Reading God's word, right? Sunday school answers, prayer, reading God's word. We have an invitation to know him, 
right? We know this is one of the primary ways that he speaks to his people. Do we want to be participating? Do we want to work out our salvation with fear and trembling? Do we want to take seriously this work of salvation? This thing? We should read his word. Because how, how will we know to follow him if we don't know what his voice sounds like? How will we be able to tell it from, from all of the other voices around us if we aren't consistently spending time with his word to know what it is that he's like? Worshiping him. Worshiping him turns our hearts to him. This is a part of working out our salvation with fear and trembling. It helps us to keep a right idea of who he is and what he's like. Intentional discipleship relationships. This is a part of the story. I think if you talk to many Christians who are adults and you said, who's discipling you? They would say, maybe my pastor, I guess. He preaches sermons. And, and this isn't just like, I think if you talked to many, many pastors and said, who's discipling you? They'd go, right? We've, we've come, like, I think it's really common in the church. Discipleship is something for kids, right? We put them in a discipleship program. They grow up. Maybe they do a discipleship program between high school and university. And then they're grown up Christians. They're on their own. This doesn't seem to be the way it works. It seems, it seems like we're actually invited into lifelong relationships of discipleship, relationships that include things like accountability and confession. If we want to take seriously this work of discipleship, this work of our, like this working out of our salvation, this process of being sanctified, of moving from the beginnings of our salvation to its completion, if we want to take seriously that work, I think intentional discipleship relationships are a part of that story. The last thing, it kind of is woven into all of those others, but I would say obedience to God's call in our lives. What does it mean to take seriously the work out of our salvation? It means we have to be obedient. It's really interesting. There's a couple of other times that Paul uses this language in the New Testament of like people like working things out or doing things with fear and trembling. 2 Corinthians 7.15, Ephesians 6.5, both of them are in direct reference to obedience. We enter into a relationship with our Lord and he invites us to follow him. And we are invited, we're challenged to live lives under his authority, right? To be obedient to him in the calls that he has for us. It means we have to be able to recognize his voice. But that's, that is the call. That is the call that's been placed on our lives as followers of Jesus. And it's good news. This is what I want to leave you with today right? Because it's I've said a lot about like, it sounds like Paul's coming in with a heavy message, right? And it is heavy. This is a, like Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes in The Cost of Discipleship. He says, the one who Christ calls, he bids come and die, right? Death is a part of resurrection. It's a part of the story for Christians. It's hard. This isn't a, like I often with people, I'll use the metaphor of marriage, you know, like this is a, this is a commitment that we're making to follow him. But it's good because it is a God who loves us and who desires our good and who actually knows what is our good better than we ourselves know it. Like when we think about the laws that have been laid out for us, the commands of scripture, these aren't just arbitrary things. I think like this is, this is good. This is not good. That's what we're going to do. Like that's not like these are for our good. Like living in this way is to live in human flourishing. 
right? Living lives of love, living lives in community with others, living lives that seek first others. Like this is actually what we've been created for. It's our sweet spot, right? So the invitation to be obedient is not an invitation to be under an oppressive regime. Jesus says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. This is an invitation to lead a different kind of life, a life that is transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit, a life of hope, of joy, of love, of faith, of beauty. This is not an oppressive call, but it's not an easy call, right? It's kind of like the example I sometimes in my head, like eating healthy. When I am eating healthy, I feel so good. I don't know if you're like, like, you're just like, oh, I feel, I feel more awake, more able to focus, more, all those things, right? Eating healthy is good for me. And yet, (laughs) it's also hard, right? It's challenging. There's difficulty in it. It's what I made, like when I'm eating healthy, it's I'm giving my body the nutrients it needs to do the things that it wants to do. And it feels amazing, but it's hard. That's what this call is like, this call to sanctification. It's good, but it's hard. And so we must work out that salvation with fear and trembling. We can't take it lightly. You'll know, you ever try to have a diet, you try to eat healthy for a period of time. As soon as it's on the back burner, as soon as you're not thinking about it, you go to that restaurant, like, it's so easy to fall off, right? Let's not do that. Let's, let's actually together, as faithful members of a community, let's journey together to follow after Jesus boldly, wherever he might lead us, as individuals and as a community. That's the call. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the call that you have placed in each of our lives to follow you, to come and follow, to, to surrender Help us to not take this call lightly. Help us to feel the weight of it, but also, Lord, give us a taste of the goodness of it, of the beauty of it. Lord, that we would desire to walk faithfully wherever it is that you call us, knowing that you are working things together for our good. Help us to trust that you know better. Lord, I pray for encouragement for our church and for discernment to be able to hear your voice. Bless us today, we ask in your name. Amen. We have one more worship song today, and uh, it talks about coming to the table. And I think this is an important part of the story when we think about this idea, because this, again, we don't, We don't get here based upon our good works. We don't get here based upon our good works. We don't get here based upon our good works. But all of us are invited into this process. All of us are invited, regardless of our background, regardless of our story, regardless of where we've been, we're invited to come and participate in what what God could do, right? So let's let's stand, let's sing, and, and, and remember that today. Thanks for listening to the Blue Mountain Community Church Podcast. May God's word fill you up this week. God bless.